Blog Talk Radio. Your number one source for knowledge in the information age. High Frequency Radio Network. Thank you. 
of my mind Feeling like committing a crime Get a lot for that I won't snitch, I ain't dropping a dime I'm a self-made hustler, top of the line I'm
gods. Peace to the goddesses. I would like to welcome you to another episode of The Foundation on High Frequency Radio Network. I am your host, So L. And as you know by now, this is The Foundation, and we are High Frequency Radio Network, where we understand incorrect information incorrectly applied can get you hurt. Correct information incorrectly applied can get you hurt. So as always, we are correctly applying that correct information here at The Foundation. I want to start off by saying all thanks, honors, and praises due to the ancestors, but first and foremost, the Creator. You know, you got you to shout out your grandparents, your, your parents, but if it wasn't for the Creator, what would we be doing I want to say big up, shout out to my spiritual big, wow, spiritual big brother, Yusuf L, High Frequency Radio Network, Extraordinaire, Create Or, shout out to the big brother, he's been doing it for over a decade, probably close to two decades, the uncle of the conscious community. Make sure you check out spcuniversity.com if you're looking to do your secured party creditor dance. I don't know if there's another another spot that's you know going to be as cogent and concise of what the brother got going on at SPC University. So make sure you check out the brother I would also like to welcome all of you to check out welcome to thefoundation.com. Make sure you sign up for the email list for that exclusive offers, exclusive content, and exclusive events. Only available to those who are on the email list you can also check out the PDF section we have a bunch of a bunch of information available a lot of it is dealing with what we deal with here at the foundation trust the states foundations things of that nature but you're going to see other stuff that really has nothing to do with what we talk about here and that's mainly because I noticed that there were other places charging for PDF documents. So any place that I saw that was charging, we went ahead and threw that up on the PDF section at welcometothefoundation.com. So make sure you check that out. Also, we have at welcometothefoundation.com, we have an education section. I think one of the first things to check out after the PDF section is the ed- education section and in the education section you have the foundation trust primer due to the fact that there are over 80 different types of trust a lot of people who disseminate trust information 
and education with regards to administration are confused. They're mingling and mixing different jurisdictions, different policies, things of that nature can get very, very confusing. Because, you know, trust is a hot topic. So to get started, I would check out that foundation, Trust Primer. It's over 18 hand-picked documents by me, myself, to get you squared away, you know, as far as beginning, beginning to understand the type of structure that we utilize here at the foundation. And then after that, you know you can move straight on to the Foundation Trust Series, Part 1, Part 2, and Part 3. I would say beginner, intermediate, and advanced. It's PowerPoint presentations, it's visual, uh, Supreme Court case citations, um, Black's Law Dictionary definitions, no theory really we're just dealing with the facts and um yeah i would say part one is intermediate i mean part one is beginner part two is intermediate part three you get into more what i would say advanced concepts with regards to private family banking financial endowments and things of that nature only things that you can do with a charity a trust or a public charity private charity a public charity or a trust So make sure to check out that Foundation Trust Series, Part 1, Part 2, Part 3. There's three of them. And then we also have the Foundation Passport, No Social, Part 1 and Part 2. I'd like to say very special thanks to Brother Chris L. He came through and he showed us his particular process with regards to obtaining a passport without the social security number in part one and using the passport no social in part two very very informative he shows his documents he breaks it all the way down there's nothing really to in my opinion guess on there's no guesswork takes all the guesswork out of it And that's a beautiful thing. As Passport, No Social, Part 1 and Part 2. All of those offerings you can find in the education section at welcometothefoundation.com. Also, in the same spot, you can find all of our social media, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter. I think we got another one, don't we? Instagram, YouTube, Twitter. That might be it. And last but not least, you can make a donation. You can book a consultation, $55 an hour to speak to yours truly, deal with your specific situation, all at the same location. Welcome to the foundation.com. I would like to say peace to all the listeners, all the archive listeners, MP listeners, archive listeners, because, you know, you got archives all over. Whether it's on the podcast app or, man, excuse me, podcast apps on 
Apple iTunes. I don't know. I don't even know. I, some people said we're, you can find the foundation on Spotify. So shout out to the archive listeners. MP3 listeners, podcasts, live callers, internet listeners. However you check out the show, definitely want to say peace to you. And peace to all the trustees here at the foundation in private trustee training, as well as those who are investing in their private education otherwise. Shout out to y'all. And we definitely want to say peace to anyone that we have come into contact with in any way, shape, or form here at the foundation. Email. Um, anyone who submitted a current event, questions, some people sent court cases, you know, uh, we appreciate any, any interaction, interaction that we receive here at the foundation. So thank you very, very, very much. Today's episode is entitled what it means to go private. I feel like going private, you hear, I'm going private. I hear a lot of people, you know, mysticism involved in it, like a legend. Some sort of myth. As if going private is, you know, making it to the promised land. And in no way do I want to be dismissive of the importance of going private. Because it's very important. But I think it needs to be put into its proper perspective with regards to what we're looking to achieve and our full comprehension of what it means to, you know, go private. I feel like there's a lot of misconceptions. And one of the biggest things with regards to going private is that you must understand the distinction between public and private. Now, I know the big brother Yusuf really gets into distinctions between public and private in a way that really can't be touched. But what we're going to do here is we're going to get into it from what I would consider a macro or all-encompassing viewpoint. But first, let's jump into these current events because it's crazy out here. I mean, wow. Wow. Shout out to the sound mans. First, um, Reuters.com, I had to go to the, what you call it? What is this? I had to go rock with Microsoft because, I mean, Reuters is locking down. It's crazy. Moody's downgrades U.S. banks, warns of possible cuts to others. Moody's cut credit ratings of several small to mid-sized U.S. banks and said it may downgrade some of the nation's biggest lenders, warning that the sector's credit strength will likely be tested by funding risks and weaker profitability. Moody's cut the ratings of 10 banks by one notch and placed six banking giants, including Bank of New York Mellon, U.S. Bank, State Street, and Truist Financial on review for potential downgrades. Quote, Many banks' second quarter results showed growing profitability pressures that will reduce their ability to generate internal capital, end quote, Moody said in a note. This comes as a mild U.S. 
recession is on the horizon for early 2024 and asset quality looks set to decline with particular risks in some banks, commercial real estate portfolios. And this is a little kind of a theme today because, you know, commercial real estate is going, yeah, you know what I'm saying? It's going down with commercial real estate. Moody said elevated commercial real estate exposures are key risk factors due to high interest rates, declines in office demands as a result of remote work, and a reduction in the availability of commercial real estate credit. And speaking of office demand, excuse my excuse my clicker. What is this? Yahoo Finance by way of what's the original? I guess it's Yahoo Finance. We work goes from $47 billion valuation to substantial doubts about its future. WeWork is struggling to survive in a post-panorama world. In announcing its earnings today, the flexible space provider said that, quote, substantial doubt exists about the company's ability to continue as a going concern, end quote. WeWork has faced a number of challenges for years now, and with so many companies abandoning office space and more people being able to work remotely demand for its co-working spaces has steadily declined over time today the 13 year old company announced a net loss of 397 million dollars that is for the second quarter on revenue of 877 million Ooh, while revenue was up four percent year over year we work interim ceo david Tolley noted in a statement quote excess supply in commercial real estate, increasing competition in flexible space and macroeconomic volatility drove higher demand and higher member churn and softer demand than we anticipated, resulting in a slight decline in memberships, end quote. As such, WeWork went on to say its ability to continue operating is contingent upon, quote, successful execution of management's plan to improve liquidity and profitability over the next 12 months, end quote. Those efforts include cutting rent and tenancy costs via restructuring actions and negotiation of more favorable lease terms, increasing revenue by reducing member churn and increasing new, sta- new sales, controlling expenses and limiting capital expenditures and seeking additional capital via issuance of debt or equity securities or asset sales. We 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 work stock was down thirty three percent after hours to thirteen cents a share. Whew. And this was after closing at twenty one cents. By this morning, it was trading at fourteen cents with a market cap of three hundred million at its prime. We work was valued at a staggering forty seven billion. After raising 100, I'm sorry, after raising 1 billion in its soft bank led Series H round in January 2019. This also from Yahoo Finance, WeWork just warned it might fail, signaling commercial real estate is in serious trouble.
Let me start this. Commercial real estate has been one of the hardest hit sectors of the United States economy over the last year. Developers rely heavily on debt and their loan payments have soared due to the Federal Reserve's hiking interest rates from nearly zero to north of 5% since last spring in response to historic inflation. Moreover, a combination of higher rates and the remote working boom have pushed down prices of offices and other commercial spaces in cities. The blow to asset values and the failure of several regional banks this year have led to smaller banks pulling back from lending to commercial developers. The upshot is the industry is navigating steeper debt costs, reduced access to credit, and big declines in the value of their properties, not to mention the prospect of a wider economic downturn or recession. Everyone from Elon Musk to Charlie Munger to Jeff Green and Ross Perot Jr. have raised the alarm on the embattled sector in recent months. We work rents close to 20 million square feet of office space the key a key player in its space. Its failure could be a systemic shock to commercial real estate in many American cities. Quote, it would pour cold water on the office market, which is struggling direly. The Columbian Business School professor, oh man, S-T-I-J-N, y'all say that, Van Neuerberg, I can say that, and real estate expert added. He recently warned that troubles in the office segment could hammer cities and spark a credit crunch while also weighing on overall economic growth. And then, uh, what else we got? Here he is, visualizing 1 billion square feet of empty office space. I got this from visualcapitalist.com. And what we have here, it's a visualization. So what's going on is, In April, one of America's largest office owners, Brookfield, defaulted on a $161 million loan. The loan, covering 12 office buildings, was mainly concentrated in Washington, D.C. Faced with low occupancy rates, it joined other office giants, Blackstone and WeWork, defaulting on office debt this year. So... There is 1 billion square feet of empty office space in the United States based on data from, what is this, JLL or JLL.com and the wider implications of office towers standing empty. At the end of the first quarter of 2023, a record 963 million square feet of office space was unoccupied in America. Five to ten office towers are at risk of defaulting each month, according to Manus Clancy, Senior Managing Director at TREP. So, okay, we got the top 10 cities. We obviously New York, Washington, D.C., Chicago, Dallas, Houston, Los Angeles, New Jersey, Atlanta, Boston, Philadelphia. And these are just the top 10 cities. And just in those top 10 cities, there's almost a billion square feet of office space that's empty. 
Office building valuations are projected to fall 30% in 2023, according to Richard Barkham, global chief economist at CBRE Group. A sharp decline in property values could potentially result in steep losses for banks. This is especially true for small and regional banks that make up the majority of U.S. office loans. Big banks cover roughly 20% of the office and downtown retail totals. For big banks, a recent stress test by the Federal Reserve shows that a 40% decline in commercial property values could result in a $65 billion loss on their commercial loan portfolios. The good news is that many big banks are sitting on healthy capital reserves based on requirements set in place after the global financial crisis. Smaller banks are a different story. Many have higher loan concentrations and less oversight on reserve requirements. If these loan portfolios deteriorate, banks may face a downgrade in ratings and higher credit losses. Additionally, banks with loans in markets with high vacancy rates like San Francisco, Houston, and Washington, D.C. could see more elevated risks. So we got this going on, you know, this, this, you know, um, they're going to say, you know, uh, a lot of people went to work from home during the panorama and that was true. That was absolutely true. But we're years past that, you know, and not only are some people still working from home, but mostly these companies are laying off people and they're doing it in waves over time and we're going to see more and more office space begin to free up just specifically due to the fact that you know they're laying off employees you don't need office space if you don't have employees there and then let's say there's an office that has 50 employees let's say it's a satellite office or something like that they have 50 employees they do an audit and realize they only necessarily need six of those employees. So they lay off the 44 employees that they don't need. And then they allow the six employees to work from home. And then they don't have to pay for that office space. And you're going to see more and more defaults on commercial real estate. And there's a lot of commercial real estate loans that are coming due that need to be Excuse me. They need to be repackaged in loans or refinanced. And this is the worst time or one of the worst times to refinance a loan, especially on the commercial side. CNBC mortgage credit availability sinks to a decade low. The higher mortgage rates weren't enough. It was harder even to qualify for a mortgage in July than it has been in a decade. This is according to the Mortgage Bankers Association. Its monthly index measuring credit availability dropped in July to the lowest level since 2013. And indicating that lending standards are tightening even further. While availability for all loan types drops, the components of the index for jumbo jumbo loans fell the most. As banks face increasing liquidity issues, then the last, then the last article say that banks have a lot of cash. You see what I'm saying? Jumbo loans cannot be sold to Fannie Mac and Freddie Mac. I'm sorry, Fannie Mae. That's an, that's an, supposed to be an E. <laughs> so they are usually held on bank balance sheets. Higher mortgage rates 
have caused demand for home loans to drop. Mortgage applications to purchase a home are 26% lower than they were a year ago, and refinance demand is off 32% according to the MBA's most recent weekly survey. Quote, declining origination volumes have led to lower profitability for many lenders, resulting in narrower loan product offerings to reduce operational costs. End quote. This is Joel Kahn, an MBA economist, basically saying no one wants to make loans. A decline in cash out refinance programs was a major component of the overall drop in credit availability. The average rate of the 30-year fixed mortgage is now hovering around 7%, more than double what it was just two years ago when refinancing was booming. And who wants to refinance? There are companies that are going to have to. And this is just the the individual side. I'm going to move on, though. Fox News, you know I love Fox News. I love Fox News. I don't love any news. I'm just being facetious. Monthly costs for home buyers rise nearly 20%. The monthly cost for a potential home buyer has surged nearly 20% compared with a year ago, as prices remain elevated according to new data. During the four-week week period, ending July 30th, the monthly mortgage payment for the typical U.S. home buyer sat at $2,605, man. And that's for, that's for a single family, man. 19% higher than the same period a year earlier, according to Redfin. It's also down $32 from the all-time high in early July, according to the data. Ooh, so, well, you're saving 32 bu- 32 bucks because, you know, that's a selling point. The average <laughs> rate on a 30-year fixed mortgage rose to 6.9 percentiles. This week, up from a week ago when it averaged 6.81%, according to mortgage buyer Freddie Mac. A year ago at this time, the benchmark home loan averaged 4.99% and currently remains almost double what it was two years ago. Bottom line, we're getting rocked. We're getting rocked, man. And this this is what I said. I, You know, I don't want to be right. Sometimes I wish that I was I was wrong. Incorrect as it were. Fortunately, what we're going to see is more and more of these issues. People can't people can't afford homes. Meanwhile, home sale prices even with lackluster demand are up about 3.5 2% annually. This is the biggest increase since November. Prices are still rising because of the imbalance between supply and demand. The high borrowing rate rates have pushed a number of sellers out of the market, which is limiting the number of available homes. And as we continue, CNN Business Orange Juice futures are hitting record highs. Here's why and what it means for consumers. Orange juice futures are hitting record highs because of bad weather and a nasty citrus disease. 
that could mean higher prices at the grocery store. In recent weeks, prices of OJ futures market have topped $3 per pound around this time last year. Prices were hovering around $1.81 per pound. The price increase has been fueled primarily by short citrus supply around the globe. A really sad and perfect storm of what's hitting the industry. End quote. This is Billy Roberts, senior analyst for food and beverage at CoBank in Florida, which typically typically produces most of the orange juice consumed in America. Hurricane Ian and Nicole. In the fall of 2022, plus a late freeze later that year, devastated crops already thinned by citrus greening, which cuts off nutrients to orange trees. Trees infected with the disease produce fewer, lower quality oranges, and then they eventually die. Late last year, the United States Department of Agriculture predicted that in the 2022-2023 season, Florida was expected to produce 20 million boxes of oranges, a 51% decline from the prior year, and the smallest amount produced since the 1936-1937 season. Man, by July, the forecast had fallen even further. Last month, the USDA said it expected Florida to produce five, I'm sorry, 15.9 million boxes in 2022-2023. Citrus greening, quote, has proven to be citrus growers' greatest challenge. This is Matthew Joyner, Joyner, CEO of Florida Citrus Mutual, a trade association, who added on a hopeful note that, quote, the new treatment methods to combat citrus greening are proven effective, end quote. Meanwhile, Brazil and Mexico, major international exporters, are having their own problems due to bad weather. You're going to see more bad weather issues with food. You're going to see more disease issues, mold. They they use, they typically, with everything, all these things, it's the same exact fruit. And they have groves and groves of the same exact trees that are like uh, clones. They're clones of other trees. A lot of them are hybridized. And if a disease that strikes one specific type of food crop hits, it takes out all, it takes out everything. You got soy growers, corn growers, and what you're going to see is, you know, um, the treatment methods are going to be more and more, what? Pesticide. All types of stuff sprayed on your stuff. You're eating it and wondering why your boo-boo is blue-blue. Tyson Foods to shut down more U.S. chicken plants after profit drop. Yahoo Finance by way of, I do not know, Bloomberg. There it is. Tyson Foods Incorporated will shut down four additional that means this is not the first four chicken facilities after fiscal third quarter sales trailed even the lowest of analysts and estimates even the analysts got it wrong man the company shares dropped the most since may Production from the facilities, which are based in Arkansas, it's so hard for me to produce a correct. I mean, to 
uh, pronounce that correctly because I want to read it how it's uh, how it reads. Indiana, Missouri will be moved to other locations as the meat supplier seeks to boost capacity, utilization, and reduce costs, according to Chief Financial Officer J. R. Tyson. Tyson declined to provide details on the number of jobs impacted by the closures. Quote, it's a difficult decision, end quote, the executive said in an interview, but, quote, for the long-term future of Tyson, this is the right choice to make, end quote. And understand this man's name is John R. Tyson. So he's probably, you know, a Tyson family member. He's not getting laid off. You can't pass a job down, but you can definitely pass down a business. CNBC companies say organized retail crime is on the rise. But there's very little data to prove it. Retailers have zeroed in on organized retail theft as a top priority, as more and more companies blame crime for lower profits. But it's difficult for companies to tally just how much stolen goods affect their bottom lines and even suffer to confirm their claims. More than a dozen retailers, including Target, Dollar General, Foot Locker, and Ulta, called out shrink or more specifically retail theft as a reason they cut their profit outlook or reported lower margins when they released earnings in May and June. Those mentions could flare up again as a flurry of retail companies will report financial results starting next week. So what's going on now, you got a lot of these companies that are saying, oh, you know, they're stealing a lot of our stuff. They're stealing our inventory. Oops, I just almost broke the microphone. They're stealing a lot of our inventory. You know, we, 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 we have weak sales because we ha- we don't have anything to sell. And I'm just going to say, you know, yeah, as uh, people's wallets get tighter and tighter, you're going to see more and more theft. But, you know, there's other there's also people who no matter how tight their finances get, they're not going to steal. I do. Although I do think that that is retail theft is a factor. It always will be a factor. I also think that, you know. People just aren't buying stuff. And instead of saying, hey, our, our sales are slow, so on and so forth, and then the stock having to pay for it, I believe a lot of companies are just, the new thing is to say, hey, man, they're stealing all our stuff. We can't sell it. CNBC, no more freebies. Companies crack down on customer perks and rewards. Check it out. It's not your imagination. Companies are getting stingier with customer rewards. Airlines are making it harder to earn elite status. Retailers have tightened return windows and tacked on fees. Duncan and Sephora are even cracking down on birthday treats. The shift shows companies are rethinking how to attract, retain, and reward customers after the panorama as consumers change their spending priorities and businesses face pressure to control costs while increasing sales. They change their priorities. They just stop spending. There's a lot less discretionary spending. And man, they're doing so such a good job tiptoeing around the actual issue. Companies have to be careful. If they slash benefits too severely, they risk losing customers, but being too generous comes with the cost. Quote, it's not a simple math exercise to say letting few people into particular group or offering fewer people a promotion just translates to a change in sales volume. End quote. This is David Garfield, global head of industries at consulting firm Alex Partners. 
quote, it also can change the way people feel about the company and influence others, end quote. Some of the biggest shifts in customer perks have come in the airline industry. During the panorama, airlines allowed frequent flyers to hold on to their elite statuses. They ended the perk as travel rebounded and customers racked up loyalty points on co-branded credit cards. Carriers, including American Airlines, Delta Airlines, and United Airlines, have also raised the number of miles customers need to earn elite status as the ranks of those with benefits swelled. When you have that many customers in the so-called premium tiers, it doesn't feel that special anymore. This is Yuping Liu Tompkins, a professor of marketing at Old Dominion University's Strom School of Business, who researches loyalty programs. Imagine that. That's what you do. This is your job is what? My job is I what do you do today? What do you do every day? You go punch in, you punch out, what are you doing? Well, I'm researching loyalty programs. Delta has taken steps to try to reduce crowding. At its popular airport lounges, it has largely barred staff when they're flying standby and raised membership fees and entry requirements. In February, American Express Centurion Lounge started charging members $50 to bring in an adult guest and $30 for children between the ages of 2 to 17. From American Express Platinum Card holders, previously members could bring two guests for free. The fees are waived if cardholders if card spend $75,000 on the card in a year. Those changes come as airlines see a new trend. Many travelers are willing to pay more to sit in business class or for other roomier seats to make flying more comfortable. So, you know, you got a lot of points, a lot of perks. It's getting harder to get those perks, get those points. And when you do get them, they might not be enough to hit that, you know, threshold for you to get that special status. Reuters, Canada Post's biggest trade deficit in almost three years. Analysts, I'm just playing, analysts predicts rough summer for Canada. Canada's trade deficit widened to $3.73 billion Canadian, which is $2.77 billion in U.S. reserve currency in June from May, the largest in nearly three years, as exports dropped 2.2% outpacing a five-tenths of a percent decline in imports, to Statistics Canada said yesterday. Analysts in a Reuters poll had forecast a shortfall of only $2.9 billion. Well, they were wrong. Quote, it's probably going to be a rough July and a rough summer, end quote. Mina Ayer, head of Export Development Canada's Research and Analysis Department, said in a phone interview weaker global demand and the fading boost from easing supply shortages took a toll on exports in June confirming the net trade weighed on second quarter GDP growth end quote people are buying less people have less money companies have less money households have less money speaking of less money US news US consumers saying quote it's a bad time to buy a house and that's at its 13-year uh, high. The share of U.S. consumers who believe it is a bad time to buy a home reached the highest level in at least 13 years last month, according to a survey released 
Monday. As the supply of available properties remains scarce and home prices appear to have stopped cooling. The portion of United States consumers saying now is a bad time to buy a new home increased by four percentage points in July to 82%. 82% of y'all know what you're talking about. And this is, this is according to a report released Monday by Fannie May May, the highest level since the mortgage finance giant began conducting the survey in 2020. Bad time to buy. Why? CNN Business, Americans' credit card debt hit a record $1 trillion. This is out of Minneapolis. American <laughs> Minneapolis, I'm sorry. Americans' credit card debt levels have just notched a new but undesirable milestone for the first time ever. They've surpassed $1 trillion, according to data released yesterday by the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. During the second quarter, credit card balances shot up by $45 billion, or nearly 4.6%, to land at $1.03 trillion, according to New York Fed's latest quarterly report on household debt and credit. Rising credit card debt and auto loan balances helped to drive up overall household debt levels 1% to 17.06 trillion. I'm sorry. 17.06 trillion for the quarter the report showed overall household debt has spiked by 2.9 trillion dollars since the end of 2019 before the panorama the new york fed's debt balances are nominal and not adjusted for inflation these increases are coming at a time when the interest rates have quickly vaulted to a 22 year high that's a sad that's a sad dance, you know. That's a really sad dance. What's good news to them is bad news to us. U.S. News 401k hardship withdrawals hit record high. A growing number of individuals with retirement plans are withdrawing savings early. During the last 12 months, 401k Hardship withdrawals rose by 24%, according to a study by a large retirement plan administrator. Okay, well, cool. Vanguard found that hardship withdrawals hit an all-time high in 2022. The data could indicate signs of declining financial health among Americans. A survey of Vanguard investors found a pessimistic outlook on the stock market's upcoming short-term performance with many people anticipating little growth in the market in the coming year. While some 401k plans make it possible to take out cash for an emergency, the step comes with consequences. If your employer provides a retirement plan, it's worth looking over the details before making the move. Funds could help you get through a financial struggle. However, you might lose out on ways to save for the long term. With inflation on a 40-year high, Consumers are finding it more expensive to maintain their current lifestyle. Quote, many people cannot keep up with the cost of living. The retirement plan may be the only cushion available. Another reason for a higher number of withdrawals could be related to health. Quote, one's health insurance may not cover a particular health issue, end quote. 
If you or someone in your family needs treatment or a major surgery, you might tap the retirement funds to help. I don't know about that. I just think it's a lot that has to do with people not being able to being able to afford stuff. And I think it has to do with, you know, people attempting to keep up with the lifestyle. That's going to be one of the major problems when the economics of the country you're in really hit the downturns and blah, blah. Because humans are creatures of habit. And, you know, we get used to certain lifestyles and so on and so forth. So when times get rough and starts to get tight, one of the last things we think of is reducing our expenses and maybe pulling back on that lifestyle, that luxurianism. What we do is we try to, you know, overcompensate and continue on with what we have been doing thus far. And, I, you know, I, it's not just people, poor people. It's very wealthy people have lost everything, too, just trying to maintain it. So it's something to keep in mind. And finally, CNN Business, China's property crisis deepens as another huge developer risk default. And I just wanted to show you all that it's not just here. You know, this stuff is going on all over the world. And as we continue to move through this system... Reset or whatever is going on We're going to continue to see more and more Financial issues But that's it for current events So what does it mean to go private What does that mean What does it mean to you I want to discuss what it means here at the foundation. And what I mean is, when we talk about going private, most people understand and comprehend that we're talking about governance. And the particular governance of a structure, specifically a trust. Right? So let's go through that. A a trust created under the common law right to contract that does not invoke any state statutory law or governance cannot be abridged. Upon its execution, it becomes a federally protected entity and not under any of the laws of the several legislatures. And that would be, you know, any of the state statutory laws. And one would think that that is private. And of course, that is private. But Beyond it being governed by the contract indenture itself and beyond it being not governed by statutes nor Internal Revenue Service Code, going private is a lifestyle. There's lifestyle changes that people don't anticipate that some people kind of take for granted. Some people kind of, 
I don't know how you view the process of going private because going private is going to be different for everyone and there's going to be a different impetus behind going private for everyone. But as far as these lifestyle things go, the first one that I would speak on would be financial. So you have financial lifestyle changes specifically. When you go private, and when, what it means to go private is technically to no longer utilize the individual for banking or any commercial transaction purposes. Now, there's a debate <clears throat> whether or not, you know, you can... Wow, can continue to utilize the Social Security number for credit reporting. Generally, assume that you're no longer going to utilize the Social Security number for to receive any type of federal or state benefits. So there would be no individual personal checking account. There would be no individual savings account. There would be no individual brokerage account. There would be a trust checking account. There would be a trust brokerage account. And these particular facts or distinction within these lifestyle components with regards to financial are important to to conceptualize, to comprehend, in my opinion. Because that's what it means to go private. We no longer own anything. We simply control it through our contractual relationship with these private trust structures. Specifically and period. So there will be a trust checking account. There would be a trust brokerage account if necessary. Typically not a trust savings account because, you know, privately we save in real money. But if necessary, sure. Then you have trust title. You have trust title of vehicles. You have trust title of personal property. You have trust title of trust title of real estate essentially there will be nothing no property personal or real titled in the name of the individual now this can be cantankerous in most situations because most people have some sort of loan for a home they have some sort of loan for their car or SUV they may have an employment contract with some sort of corporation where they are an employee they may have a 401k plan so what does it mean to go private if you are an employee what does that mean? How, how does that, how is it relevant for you? 
Well, what that means is the same thing, except for there would be a personal checking account. There would be a personal savings account, brokerage account, 401k account, you know, whatever. And there definitely would be individual title of vehicles and property. But there also would be a trust checking account, trust brokerage account, trust title to any other type of vehicles that are unencumbered, which means they do not have any loans. And immediately upon the satisfaction of any note, loan, mortgage, there will be an exchange of title, transfer of title of these assets, this property, into one of the private estate structures. And this is done every day, and there are many, many benefits, especially when you include a tax-exempt private family foundation. There are many, many benefits for those who are still employed. You know, there's a lot of, I think there's a misconception that you can't go private if you have a job. You can privatize your estate. You can privatize your family estate. And you can privatize any business, offers of goods or services that exist outside of your place of employment. And it's very important. It's it's very important. But let's get to governance. Like, what does it mean to go private? Right? What are we talking about here? Because ultimately, we're talking about public and private. And I said earlier that we were kind of kind of get into, you know, public and private. But probably most people are are familiar with discussing public and private when it comes to structurally private trust, public trust, private rights, public rights. But typically with regards to a public structure structure and distinction or contradistinction to a private structure. But public and private inherently is bigger than that. Public and private is really all-encompassing when we discuss and articulate them with regards to systems of governance because you have public structures you have private structures you have public policy you have private policy you have public law you have private law but really when what it means when you go private it means that you are making an unequivocal claim that you are no longer under man's law you are now under God's law whatever name you use to address address the creator the creator of the boundless, boundless universe you come under that law as observed 
through the laws of nature. It is a superior law. Your right to contract unlimited inherently derives itself from God's law, the creator's law. And what it means to go private means that you are casting off the public shawl of limited liability and you are donning donning the private shawl of accountability and that's that's something to really consider because you know this isn't something that should necessarily be taken lightly i've been quoted as saying hey man Going private, setting up your private estate with private structures, trusts, and whatnot is a spiritual endeavor. People don't listen to me. Maybe they hear what I'm saying, but I just say it so nonchalant that it doesn't really take effect. They're used to people's flailing their hands and making grandiose gestures to accentuate what they're expressing in simple words. And I don't typically do that. But it's a very, very, very spiritual process. You cannot. You cannot. Go private if you don't comprehend that. You're coming under God's law. And in coming under God's law, in a lot of ways, you got to get right. And, you know, you're going to find that a lot of times it doesn't have necessarily anything to do with trust. Or trust administration. It might be a way that you're living, the way that you're treating someone, uh, the way that you're treating yourself, the way that you're not, you know, um, striving for success, for perfection, for a sense of self-worth, these internal battles that most of us don't really talk about too much. That's the spiritual side. You want to wield the powers of a private trustee with great power comes great responsibility. You're going to be exposed or things in your life that are incongruent are going to be exposed. Maybe your relationship. It might be an interpersonal relationship with a family member or a significant other. It might be a relationship with a very, very good friend that you've known since junior high or something of that nature. It might be a lifestyle choice that you make. A habit that you possess, a vice that you struggle to control. I don't know what it is because everyone is different. I know what it was for me, and that's private. But I will tell you one thing. If you, what it means to go private, it means to tell the truth. And that's difficult for a lot of people because most people lie all day, every day. And not like deceitful um inherently evil lies. I'm talking about just, just you know, um, 
subconsciously just lying. Hey, how are you? I'm fine. You're not fine. There was a study where I think it was like women lie up to between 50 and 100 times a day and men lie up to 500 times a day or something like that. And if you really sit down and take account and catalog all the times you open your mouth and do not speak truth, you will be surprised. But what it means to go private is you must stand on truth. You must be a sot. You must be a seeker of truth and a speaker of truth. And that doesn't mean that you can just be disrespectful of truth. Because you also have to take into accountability other people and other people's feelings. As well as other people's rights. And we're in another person's rights end where yours begin and vice versa. Their, their rights begin where yours end. And a lot of people will get the truth and just start hammering people with it. Oh, did you know that you ain't supposed to, and and you can be private and and you can be and, and you didn't even know that and you didn't even know that this is actually a corporation and that the United States is actually in Washington D.C. Ha! A lot of people get the information and they utilize it as a means to puff their chest up and lord over someone or a group of people. But ultimately, going private and what it means to go private, you're declaring that you're, you're, you're coming under God's law, the creator's law. You're declaring that there's no necessity for man's law as applied to you or yours. And I guarantee you we're going to be tested on a spiritual level. And I believe that, you know, with these powerful structures, and the power of contract, and the power of knowing the difference between public and private, and the power of being able to discern between different jurisdictions, comes, you know, responsibility and being tested. Hey, check it out. We got about 60 seconds left in the broadcast. If you're checking it out online or, you know, you're on the website or something, you want to call in 563-999-3616. Otherwise, you will be disconnected. And if you want to hear the remainder of the show, you will have to check out the archive. So, yeah. Man's law, public. You've got God's law, private. Your power with regards to the private and these private structures stems from the power vested in you by the Creator. And if you can't fundamentally come to terms with that and really rectify that, you're going to have some some tumultuous issues. And I see it every day. I see them all the time. 
I mean, some of the worst things I've seen, uh, what one of the worst things I've seen, you know, um, it was a husband and wife got into trustee training. I won't say their names. I won't say where they're from. I will say nothing identifying. They got into trustee training. And this is a few years back. And they were tested. And the brother was more consistent and dedicated with regards to calling in to the training every Sunday and reading the material and getting, you know, the comprehension that he needed in order to move forward. But his wife not so much and it began to cause a rift between them. You know, he said that he started to realize how little she thought about the entire family unit. He started to realize how little she really um, prioritized and considered the entire family. He said he started to realize a lot of things that he had tolerated and not even really noticed during their marriage. And then he was able to gather some additional information that was very, very, very tragic, which completely ended the marriage. I think there was there were some children involved. It was not what's up. And it was really, you know, this brother was really thinking about his family. He was thinking about his estate. He was thinking about his heirs. And he wanted to move forward. And he was attempting to pull his wife with him and expecting same or similar performance. But while he is um, becoming more and more accountable and more and more responsible, he's seeing how how much lack of accountability and lack of responsibility he has been dealing with all this time. And, you know, there was another one. It was a sister and a brother, but they weren't married yet. They were engaged, and it was the exact opposite. The sister was on it. You know, the sister and the brother, they had a, a young child together, and she was on it. She was calling in. She would call me almost almost like three times, four times a week. And, you know, through the... Uh, you know ongoing training and interaction with this brother and sister the sister realized that they didn't have that she didn't share the same well they didn't share the same priorities with regards to family and they didn't share the same priorities with regards to raising children And she said she saw some, you know, warning signs and she said that she was happy to get get out of that situation. Now, see, I'm not necessarily a fan of the public. The public misleads. But, you know, the public is very, very, um, what's the word? Desirable. It's different. 
it, it, it's seemingly empowering. You don't have to listen to your family. You can buck tradition. You can make a name for yourself, not for your family. And what what has happened over time, and probably what has always been so, is that decisions, especially very large decisions, such as who you're going to marry, how about that, who you're going to have children with, these decisions are made without family input, without elder input from your family. We think we're strong, we're strong-minded, we're individuals, we don't need consultation. But I think that stems from, you know, so many of our generations that we've spent not administering our own estate. Because when you have a family trust, naturally, there's a family government that is established and develops. There's a hierarchy that develops. And everyone in the family is everyone's business. And of course, there's privacy that is extended to everybody. But, you know, these private families that I've come into contact with, you know, a brother will tell a sister, hey, I don't like that guy. I don't think he's good for you. She breaks up with them. They don't get into argument. Don't tell me about my relationship. You don't know how much I love him. We've been through everything. He he understands me. Wealthy families, established families, families that have private estates that are multi-generational wealthy, you get one or two family members that don't like you, no go. You're not getting married. The relationship is not moving forward. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are in those families and you've been in that situation where, you know, your dad or, you know, one of your cousins or your sisters, they were like, nope, nope. And you were like, that, that was the relationship was over. And what it means to go private is to recognize that private family governance, to respect that private family governance, to kind of, in a way, in a sense, give up a part of your own individuality for the family instead of giving up your individuality for your job or your company or your government or your state. And there are other aspects and other, you know, principles that I could touch on with regards to what it means to go private. But that's really why I want what I wanted to talk about today here on the foundation, what it means to go private. And I think, you know, this is something that I recommend that you listen to and maybe listen to again or maybe two or three times. Because I'm not a super duper genius but I am very very highly intelligent and I do know that and it's not to toot my own horn but what I'm trying to say is I've been you know contemplating um, dealing uh, working with 
um, living in this realm called private for a long time. So a lot of these concepts are very, very seasoned in my mind and in my psyche. So, you know, I talk a lot of times, I will say things that a lot of people find very profound as if I'm speaking on the type of water I like to drink. So I would just, you know, not necessarily take notes, but really, really, you know, do your best to conceptualize what I'm trying to articulate with regards to what it means to go private in this show. And I think that, you know, you stand to gain quite a bit if this is the route that you're choosing to take. And with that, I appreciate y'all checking out the show. Each and every time you check out the show, it means a lot to me. You know, I can't say how much it means to me. That, you know, we have so many people in so many different places that are so interested in this information. And it's very humbling that so many people from so many different places look to me as a type of authority with regards to private trust administration. It's humbling. Thank you. But this is, you know, as far as I'm concerned, this is my life's work. And this is very, very important. So what does it mean to go private? I'd be very interested to hear what you think. I'm serious. Just shoot me an email, admin at welcometothefoundation.com. It's, it's different for everyone. It's individual. It's personal. And it's spiritual. Don't let anyone tell you different. And when you get to the point where you know what it means to you to go private and you're looking to set up your private estate, business trust, asset trust, family trust, and possibly even a private family foundation, I suggest you email us admin at welcome to the foundation.com so we can get you sorted. We got trustee training. Every Sunday, private educational materials, um, access to documents that, you know, aren't available on our website that, you know, are very, very difficult, if not impossible, impossible to find in the real world or on the Internet. Expert instruction. And, uh, you know, hands on assistance with, you know, not only reestablishing your private estate through the proper structures, but, you know, simple things. And sometimes intimidating things such as going and opening a trust checking account. All of this you can get assistance with. We are developing a tiered system of training, but right now just email us admin at welcome to the foundation.com for more information on trustee training. I think everyone, especially in the United States of America, where the private right to contract is unlimited and protected by the United States Constitution, I think everyone should learn private trust administration, hands down. And that's why we are the foundation here on High Frequency Radio Network because we know that trust is the foundation of all this. 
Y'all know the uh, Constitution is a trust indenture with the amendments <laughs> and the Board of Trustees is Congress. I want to say um, I appreciate everyone, every one of you, you know, who checks out the show, all the new listeners, um, all the, you know, OG listeners. You know, we've been on high frequency for a long time and. definitely want to say we appreciate y'all we really do really really do but with that being said let's wrap the show up i trust that you learned something from this episode i highly invite you to email us admin at welcome to the foundation.com i highly recommend that you check out our website welcome to the foundation.com take advantage and peruse our offerings on the website Book a consultation. Sign up for the email list. And, you know, begin your private transition. And we will, we would be honored to assist you in your private transition. More information, shoot us an email. Admin at welcome to the foundation.com. Also, we do have retainers available, annual retainers, um, ongoing assistance. Um, administration and consulting for your private estate that you have already set up. Something we haven't offered before. If you're interested, email us admin at welcome to the foundation.com. We will be having our next in person event in October in Chicago. Make sure you go to Welcome to the foundation.com to sign up for the email list to get the information necessary to check us out in person in the Chicago area in October. Uh, what else we got? If you're interested in any um, information with regards to private credit privacy numbers, I suggest that you check out the episode we did a couple weeks ago. On CPNs with the brother Derek Private. If you want more information on credit privacy numbers, the legality, the validity, and the use, email us admin at welcome to the foundation.com. Book your consultation with Derek Private today. And there we go. I appreciate y'all checking the show out today. I trust that you were able to gain or glean something from this show. As you know, as we lay the foundation. So what it means to go private, there's my take on it. I trust that y'all gained something from the episode and I trust that y'all have a luxurious week that you will enjoy yourself. You will take care of yourself. Please say 10 things that you're thankful for tonight before you go to sleep and every night because it's very important. And I will catch you next week on the same time in the same place on the hottest radio network on the planet. High Frequency Radio Network. I'm your host, Sot L of the Foundation, and it has been an absolute pleasure. I'll check y'all out next time. Y'all be safe. 
Be easy and be good. Peace. Doing this thing all the way live. High frequency radio. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over limited by law, 18 plus, terms and conditions apply. See website for details.